Happy Easter, everybody. I've been looking forward to being able to get up and share God's Word. Because God's Word is really special. Um, I was raised in a really good home. I grew up down in Narracourt, born in Narracourt in the southeast on a farm, and uh, had wonderful mum and dad. They weren't, they didn't know God themselves, they weren't Christians. So, but I was raised well. I was taught to value things and I could never understand people uh, destroying things and, and uh, you know, damaging stuff for unnecessarily or cheating. I didn't understand it because my parents taught me values of life very well and I thank them for that. But somehow, though, there was a, a, a vacuum in my heart. I didn't really understand what I was here for on earth. And so as a young man, I uh, uh, you know, went through the schooling system in Narracourt, and there was a preacher there. Uh, his name was Reverend Ted Broomhead. And it was really funny because he was bald as a... <laughs> me <laughs> but Reverend Broomhead used to love to tell us stories and uh, get us all us boys in year 5 and 6 and all that really hanging on every word and he'd always seem to be able to time it right to when the siren was going off when he got to his climax point and he said and we go no don't stop there he was a good storyteller but he'd say just remember Jesus' nail-scarred hands are reaching out to you. And that was something that stuck within me. It didn't mean... I sort of understood what he was meaning. I understood about the cross. It didn't have that that turn-on-the-light sort of experience for me. The Reverend Broomhead was a, a wonderful man. But sometimes... The, we, we don't always uh, acknowledge or understand the hole in Jesus' hand. But this is the greatest, Easter's the greatest love story ever told. We don't always see it like that. We don't always receive it like that. I thought the church actually was, uh, I went along to church once and it all seemed like a bunch of sissies and, and talking about blood and things and everything. I didn't really get it what it was all about. I hadn't understood that it was Jesus' substitutionary death dying for me. That my sin had a death penalty on it and I deserved, uh, I couldn't be in the presence of a righteous, sinless God because of the sin that was in my life. But I want to start today, as I like to, with a conclusion. It's not the end. But it's just so that you know where you're going. When I get on a bus, I like to know where it's going to be going before I get on it. So I want to say today, the conclusion is, Jesus Christ is not a distant, aloof deity. He's not a harsh prophet killing those who disagree with him. He is my saviour. He's the one who reached down to me. And you know, if you're paddling down a, a river and uh, you're in a canoe 
and you're having a nice little picnic going along. It doesn't really matter whether you're eating devilled ham or angel food cake. If there's uh, a waterfall half a kilometre down the road, you're going to be destroyed no matter what you're eating or how you're living at that point of time. Yes, it is important to live right, and, and our children have reminded us this morning about how to live like children of God. Because it's good for us to do that as well, and to understand Jesus. So, who is this Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God who prearranged with the Father and the Holy Spirit that he would come down to earth and he would be born as a baby and grow up and die in our place because the whole human race was contaminated. And so he was going to come, live a sinless life and then die in our place and so the death penalty was placed upon him when it was not deserved to do so. And the law of double jeopardy, he substituted himself in our place. He sacrificed himself so that we could be forgiven. And as a young man, about, uh, I was 21, just after my 21st birthday, and I was enjoying myself, living around, pushing the boundaries, doing all those things that young teenage men like to do, and probably teenage girls as well. By today's standards, I was probably really good, but by my standards, I wasn't. But one particular time, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I heard that somebody preach the word of God clearly, and that Jesus loved me. The Christian message sometimes is received as almost telling us the things we, we need to do. When you ask the, the, the man in the street, you know, what's a Christian? They say, oh, somebody who doesn't do this and doesn't do that and doesn't do this and doesn't do that, which is so wrong. We choose to live a holy life because we've discovered that Jesus died in our place and set us free, and living with him is far better than trying to fill that empty hole. I had a God-shaped vacuum inside of me that I tried to fill. You know the old saying, sex, drugs and rock and roll. You know, you try to fill that emptiness that's there. And that just wasn't working for me. Until I heard the story of Jesus and how God does love us, and he come, came to die in our place, so that we can have a relationship with the creator of this universe. It doesn't mean that we have to earn it by being good, because we never seem to quite make it somehow or other. But Jesus stepped in and took our place. <clears throat> it was three things that Jesus did. He stepped in to save you, he gave you the keys of life and he's given us a whole new life to lead. Jesus stepped in and took our place. 
There's a very famous verse in the Bible. In fact, it's so famous that we hardly ever quote it anymore. But I learnt it when I was younger. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son to condemn the world but to save the world through him. We often forget the last part. The whole purpose of Easter is that God wants to have a relationship with us and he wants to enjoy us. And he doesn't want a bunch of fanatics running around lifting up banners necessarily or shouting down the opposition. Sometimes it might be necessary to do that. But what he's looking for is his family. And and as a, a father of four kids and eight grandchildren, family is precious to us. And God's family is precious for him, to him. Jesus stepped in and took our punishment. Jesus handed the keys of life to us as his followers. During the Crimean War, <clears throat> could I have some water perhaps in the glass hand? Not the best thing. Thank you, Philip. Thanks, mate. Yep, that's good. During the Crimean War, it went on for... Who remembers how long it went on for? Oh, I'm safe then. (laughs) I often laugh when people say, do you remember that? I said, no. You see the look of relief on their face, but they know you don't remember it, so they're pretty free to, to... During the the Crimean War, it was a long, horrible war in Russia. And in order to restore order, some of the leaders had to be fairly tough to restore order. Shamil was one of those leaders. And in order, because there'd been so much corruption and everything through the place during the war, he laid a, a statement out and he said... Anybody found uh, committing corruption will be taken into the central square and flogged, no matter who they are. And so uh, that happened. But to Shamil's dismay, the first person that was found to be committing corruption was his mother. And so suddenly all the fingers were turned to Shamil. You made a statement. Are you going to make an exception just for your mother? And so Shamil followed through on the thing. So his mother was taken. The shirt was ripped off her back. She was tied in the public square. And she started the first lash And after two lashes, her screaming so mortified him that he said, Stop! 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 Every eye 
was turned upon Shemiel. If Shemiel let his mother off, the whole order was going to fall through. What was he to do? Shemiel walked up there, unloosed his mother, took his own shirt off and said, I'll take the rest in her place so that the righteousness of the law was upheld and it almost killed Shemil but he showed his honour and his righteousness in following through I don't know if you've ever thought of it in that way but Jesus said stop 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 I will die in Phil's place. I will die in Anne's place. I will die in Daryl's place. And every one of you has that option. People often say to me, God's love is unconditional. And I have to say, that's not quite true. There is one very significant condition in first chapter of John verse 12 it says to all who received him he gave the right to become children of God born not of perishable seed but of imperishable and a new race of people so Shemil demonstrates very clearly for us and then Jesus just before his crucifixion he said to his disciples I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven we often see jokes don't we about St Peter at the pearly gates well it's not St Peter at the pearly gates because St Peter was just a human being I noticed in one of the songs we sang about his saints um, what was that song about uh, he arose with his saints to reign with his saints to reign and we sometimes are a little bit uh, confused by Catholicism about thinking saints are some elevated people in certain positions that did uh, lived an amazing life the Basically, the word there is sanctified. All of us who have been paid, all our sins have been paid for by Jesus, are saints, sanctified people. And so Jesus wants to reign with us for all time. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. It's not just St. Peter up there about to let you in. He's talking about here, in this life, right now, keys of life. If you, we live by the words of the truth of the Bible and the living word of God, that's why we call our church living word. We want to be following through on what God has given us to do. There's keys there which will close doors that are problems, open doors to give us life. Jesus gives us a whole new life destiny. Can you think of how you could use the keys of life if he's caused us to be a new 
family, people uh, that are born, his children, his sons. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, by the way, disciples, I can't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it and I'm in relationship with him. Because Jesus had limited his, his, uh, himself to operating as a human being, but under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. And the same life that Jesus lived, he said, the miracles that I do, you also can do. And even greater than these. I think he meant greater in number because uh, you couldn't really do it better than what Jesus did. But certainly the miraculous power of God never stopped. Jesus, in fact, said as he rose, he said, I'm going to be sending you out into all the world to share this message but wait until you're empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit so you can go into all the world. Don't try and do it in your old natural strength. So Jesus gives us a new destiny. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples. Just suddenly, how would you feel like that? You're in an upper room and then suddenly, boom, there's Jesus there in your midst. It'd be, it'd be scary. No wonder the Bible often says, don't be afraid. You know, because it'd be the first emotion that would come to me, even though I, I love God and everything else, it would scare the willies out of you, wouldn't it? And so he appeared to them and talked to them and said, give me something to eat and chatted and, and was there for a long time. And they, they said to him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied... This is Thomas. Thomas wasn't there at the time. And so the other disciples told Thomas, we saw the Lord, he's alive, it really is, oh yes, it really happened. And he says, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hands into the wound in his side. Sounds a bit gross, doesn't it, actually? But I guess he's wanting to be really sure that it was Jesus. In fact, that time when I was laying on my bed and I'd, after I'd heard the gospel, I had a, an impression, an image of a, a demon spirit frightened the life out of me. It was about two metre, well, a metre and a half tall, green, smoky, evil-looking thing, God's representation to me of what evil is like and the only way I could get rid of that head was to remember those words that Reverend Broomhead was saying Jesus' nail-scarred hands are reaching out to you and when I just was still and I could allow this image of this demonic spirit it suddenly dissolved away and there stood this man in a robe and he reached out his hands to me. And you know what? I looked to see if there was a hole in them. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I'm reminded of that when I have a donut. I think the donuts are known for the hole in the middle, but that doesn't, there's not much taste in it. <laughs> but Jesus, the hole in Jesus' hand was very significant. And so I'll go back to reading. It says, we've seen the Lord, but Thomas says... I won't believe it unless I put my finger in the hole. Jesus says to 
comes back on another occasion. This is Thomas. Pierce before Thomas. He says, Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound inside. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Believe. We want to see, then believe. But in the, the Christian realm, when you believe, you will see. That's what happened to me. The hole in Jesus' hand shows that he bore the punishment for us. Don't be a slave living the destiny this life's handing out to you. Do you know, when I was with all my mates and everything else, we were all going about, oh yeah, had a good time, you know, sick as a dog and all this and did this and did that and we're all bragging away. And we all knew, every single one of us, we didn't have a good time. We're just trying to talk ourselves into a good time. We're trying to replace that God-shaped vacuum that's inside us with something that never will. So even, even our family, even good things, even like our family, won't replace fully that God-shaped vacuum inside of us. Neither will sex, drugs and rock and roll. There's nothing but when we receive... God says all we have to do is receive him. To all who received him, he gave the right to call children of God and to be children of God. And that's just the beginning. We're going to share a very simple uh, meal here called communion. Everybody is welcome to share in this. The condition is that we receive Jesus as we're doing it. The items, the the, uh, unleavened bread and the wine or cordial in our case, or whatever it is, fruit juice, wine juice, there's no power in those things on their own. They are a commemorative meal. There's power in it when we receive, when we receive what God wants to give us. And you may never have really yielded your life to Christ. But you can. Right now, as the communion comes around, we just take a little bit, hold it, eat and drink it together. And we can, by so doing, say, Jesus, I receive what you've got for me. I don't understand it all yet. But I'll receive... Let you talk to me and share yourself with me and I want to open up my life to receive you. If it's the first time, it doesn't matter. It's a beautiful thing to do. We had um, one night back in, uh, for those who know that I was youth pastor in Barry Chance Church way back in the 1971 at Rosewater. 
and uh, we were having our youth meeting there and we decided this night to have a communion service. And suddenly the door opened and there was about 14 or 15 rough-looking bikers walk in. And our kids were not really all that comfortable with uh, that scene, a bit younger and, and ch- a bit more involved with church. And these guys come in, big tough guys. And I thought, Lord, help me here. <laughs> so I said to them, I'm going to offer that you can take part in this. I said, look, quite clearly, you can wreck our meeting if you want to. If that's, if that's going to make you feel good, you can wreck our meeting and spoil it. We can't stop you. But if you'd like to learn something and if you'd like to receive, I'd like to offer you something. And as the communion comes to you, if you receive it and say, God, I want to receive this, I want to receive you, I want to let you into my life, you know, all but one took it very sincerely, very respectfully, and did that. And when they, when they left, they said, Hey, you're pretty cool, dude. <laughs> but I was, I was really quite amazed that there was that much responsiveness. So I'm certainly not putting anybody here in the category of the bikers this morning. But what I'm saying is, if you receive God, he will gladly fill your heart with his love and reveal himself to you. So could I have a couple of people come and distribute the communion elements? Thank you, Phil and Brenton.